Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. <laughs> my dad is my hero. I'll always be there to take your call and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh boy. Hey, hey, hey. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Today, I am talking to Taryn Laughlin. She gave me a leg up in my own career, and sometimes being nice to people, it comes back around. Taryn, welcome. Hi there. Hi. It's been so long. This is amazing. See, this is the best part of having a show. <laughs> that we, you get to talk to people you haven't talked to in years. <laughs> yeah. And then they want to because they're like, ooh, you know. <laughs> I got a mic and everything. So, you know. Oh, my God. So good to see you, first of all. Yes. Same to you. Congratulations on your wonderful life. I see all the pictures of kids and everything like that. That's amazing. Oh, so exciting about your wonderful life. I just like checked out your IMDb and I'm like, okay. So, the first question I have for you is like, when you tell people what you do, are they like, can you get me on TV? <laughs> no, not really, because most people want to know what my job is because, you know, not a lot of people know what, you know, you know what a writer does with scripted, but not a lot of people know what, you know, you story people do in post. So there you go. Okay, so let's tell them. <laughs> okay. Yes, I'm an executive producer. Right now, I oversee the post department, which includes story producers and editors and making sure we hit all the deadlines and fun stuff. But I did start out as a story producer, which is basically like a writer for reality television. The only difference is we don't come up with everything because it's based upon stuff that's happening in the field and they shoot. But we, you know, they shoot hours and hours of footage, like three or four, sometimes five days of scenes for one hour of television. And so we have to make sure we get it down. We make sure we're telling a coherent story and then an entertaining story as well, you know? And sometimes, you know, they miss things. So we have to make sure, you know, cause they're not shooting 24 seven. So we have to make sure that why someone's fighting with someone say is you understand why. It's like almost like a puzzle. Sometimes a puzzle is just, you know, you take the pieces and you just kind of put it all together. Yeah. What was the first show that you story produced? Was it Nanny? No. Well, my very first story job was as an assistant story on a show for ABC called The Ultimate Love Test. <laughs> so it was a dating show. But Nanny was like one of my second or third story jobs. And I, I didn't even, weren't even called story producers then. It was story editors. So yeah, I would love to just to catch me up on what the industry has turned into. And like, it's been a long time since I've kind of worked in LA. You've stayed yes. there since we met. I mean, I know so much has changed. Well, yeah, actually it has like just even job titles, like I said, but you know, it's so funny because I got into this business over two decades ago and I originally actually came out to be, I worked as an intern on General Hospital, got a job on there. And then they brought a new writing staff in. So I was 
gone. Then I started poking around reality and because I had friends who worked in it as well. And I did all kinds of jobs like casting, PAing, you know, they have these things, which we don't really have as much anymore, but they were called loggers where we would literally transcribe every single piece of footage. Funny enough, my very first job was a logger on the mole when Anderson Cooper was still hosting. So it was way, way, way back there. Season two, actually. And it's very different from today. Like, you know, it's much harder. I feel bad for people to get into the industry, you know, because it's harder. There's, it's more of a, you know, established thing. It was still so very new, like literally production companies would start up for a show and then shut down after that show. And, you know, it was very mom and pop. So everybody was doing all kinds of different jobs, you know, like, so you could bounce around and really figure out where your niche was. It's not that way anymore. And it's, it's so much harder to get break in. And, and especially I can even imagine for those who are trying to get in during the pandemic or after this pandemic, because I mean, my job has gone completely remote. All the editors are remote. All the story people are remote and half this industry and it, much of the entertainment industry, it's about who, you know, it's about those connections you make. It's about the networking and you're not going out to lunch with people. You're not, you know, having, you know, a chance to tell your boss or whoever, like, Hey, I really want to get into story. It's much harder. And a lot of the companies now are all just completely corporate you know, which is fine. But like, you know, so all these big names like ITV and A. Smith or Evolution or whatever, then, you know, they're buying, especially ITV is buying up lots of small companies. So they're all under the umbrella of ITV. I've worked for several companies that are under the ITV umbrella. And it's like, you know, you've got human resources and all that kind of fun stuff, which we never had before. So some ways it's great, you know, like you get holidays off and paid holidays and all that kind of stuff, but, or sick days, we didn't have that. <laughs> I don't know if you remember, no sick days. Yeah. <laughs> if no. you did, you don't get paid. So it's harder. And I think that's in general in entertainment, you know, over across the board. I mean, all these big companies are conglomerates now own everything. I mean, look at Disney, like Disney owns all these franchises, you know, even Warner brothers was bought by AT&T and now discovery and AT&T are going to be one huge merger thing. So it's definitely almost, I would almost say it's almost becoming like a monopoly in a way. Cause you know, you know, NBC universal, all those channels, everything, it's all under these few companies. So, you know, it's, it's different, definitely different. Not the almost like wild west TV production that I came up in. <laughs> so yeah, also the technology piece. I mean, when I yes. worked at Nanny, like we were still hand delivering tapes to executives. Yes, it's true. You had runners were runners for a reason. My very first story job, we would put all the footage on VHSs for the story team to watch. And then they would create their paper scripts. And then I would literally take two VCRs and, you know, record back and forth to get like a scene together. And now you need to know Avid and, you know, cause we do everything on Avid these days, you know, we just straight up story producers, straight up do string outs. We don't, don't send it to AEs anymore or anything like that. And in fact, here's a little hint. If you want to become an editor, go story route. AEs aren't getting the chance to cut anymore. They're more just strictly technical, strictly organization of media and things like that. So if you want a chance to cut and become an editor, knowing story and you get your experience on the Avid, that's a much easier route. That is a good tip there. Wow. That's interesting too. Cause I feel like even back in the day, assistant editors really got to do the string outs. They yeah, also no. had to upload footage, but they were definitely stringing everything out. No, story producers do it all themselves now. Yeah, because we all have, you know, Avid is so accessible. Like I'm working on Avid from a room. I'm not even, it's not even on my computer. I'm logging in to a 
almost like a computer farm bank, whatever for our show. And it's completely remote access. That's a big change. Yeah. Wow. How did you pick up Avid? I mean, luckily it was kind of on the job training, but I did take a two week course at Moviola and I believe it was, you know, the California has subsidies and things like that. So I got help paying for it. So, which is great, you know, but there's all kinds of tutorials and stuff online too. And I think lynda.com has a great one. And then also you can learn Premiere. A lot of, some shows do Premiere. Avid is still the industry standard, but Premiere is, you know, also a way to get in. I'm probably saying too much, but the way I describe Avid and Premiere is like basics are the same. There's moving cuts here, adding things there. That's all the concepts are the same. It's just the different like vocabulary and how you do it. So it's almost like, I like to say, it's almost like the romance languages, like Spanish and French are very similar, but there's just enough differences that you kind of, you know, that can trip you up a little. Yeah. It's funny when I got pregnant with my first child, I decided to go back to school and take final cut because after working as a post-production supervisor, I wanted to know how to push the buttons. I felt like enough <laughs> editors yeah. had taken me into their bay and asked for a second pair of eyes. And I was like, yeah, no, yeah. I really actually want to know how to push the buttons. I loved it though. Like I I took one class and then I ended up taking another class. And then that honestly led to me starting to put together videos for other people. I had a girlfriend who was teaching a class on happiness and how to look Mm. at the brighter side of life. And she said, Hey, could you go out around San Francisco and just do a man on the street for me, you know, make (laughs) it like a minute and a half and I'll start my class around that. And I was like, Oh, that sounds fun. And I was pregnant and like wanting to try my editing chops. Yeah. So I just went up to like a bunch of people on the street. My husband shot it with like one of those, you know, mini DV cams that used to shoot to tape and yeah, I had yeah, a yeah. blast. And after I did that one, then people were like, can you do a baby naming for me? Can you do my kids bar mitzvah? And I was like in business. There you go. I mean, and you know what? Premiere is basically final cut. So, you know, if you grew up on Premiere or Final Cut, Apple's not really doing Final Cut anymore, but Premiere is basically Final Cut. And the quality of iPhones these days, it's 4K, you know, like I just did a show for Discovery and Space stuff with, you know, and because of COVID, we were doing all of our interviews online, our EIC who's awesome. There's a system which he created or he worked with this company and we send out like an iPad or iPhone and they just record it all there and then upload it onto the cloud. And it's much better than quality than Zoom and stuff. So as I shoot on Zoom right now, hey, no, you, you, you use what you got. Don't get me wrong. We used Zoom because also like I was working with NASA and they're very particular about, we couldn't even use Zoom. We had to use Microsoft Teams. So they're very particular, but some, you know, some people we got to use the video from the 4k. Okay. Now I want to know like what you were working on with NASA. Um, that's cool. Well, yes. So I was lucky enough in this business. Timing is everything because like you get projects or there's projects you want to do, but you're already booked and things like that. And technically I was already booked another show for own. I was going back for another season and then COVID happened. And then somebody I've worked with multiple times, Aaron Fishman, he's amazing. He worked for a company that had was partnered with the Washington Post and they were doing stuff with SpaceX and NASA. So we did a documentary about SpaceX right before they were about to launch the astronauts back to the ISS for the first time. And then Discovery decided that they wanted to do a live show covering that. We did the live show 
with the launch of Demo 2. We did the splashdown. We did a launch of the first real mission and stuff like that. And, and actually, that's what won me Miami. <laughs> so, oh my God. And, can we talk about that? Oh my God. It was honestly, it's one of the most filling experiences of my entire life. I mean, I got to interview a retired Apollo astronaut. Yeah. And some of the most badass female astronauts I've ever, ever met in my life. Like I was in awe. I literally would get off of the zooms or whatever and be like, did that just happen? That just happened. Oh my God. Oh my God. You know? So I got to interview the head of NASA. I got to, you know, like scientists, all that kind of stuff. It was amazing. And, you know, honestly, none of it would have happened if it hadn't been for COVID. I would have still been doing, not that there's anything wrong because I'm back to doing those type of shows, but it was just, you know, there's some shows that you do. And I'm lucky enough to have a couple in my resume that just, you feel like change the world, you know, or really reach and make the world a little bit better place. So. Okay. So tell me about the other ones. I did a show called Whale Wars for Animal Planet. It followed this group called the She Shepherd, Sea Shepherds (laughs) in uh, Antarctica. And they were trying to stop the Japanese whalers. And so it was shot like almost true documentary style because of legal reasons and stuff like that. Like, so there was no producing it or anything like that. It's, and so we had mountains and mountains of footage brought back to post. And a lot of the times they're just on a boat in the middle of the water, you know, but then they encounter the Japanese whalers and, you know, crew members are jumping aboard the, you know, off a jet ski onto in Antarctic waters and stuff like that. But the group itself is a little, you know, there's some questionable stuff, but I did feel like we were bringing awareness to a very important issue. And then it was also a show I did for own with a minister. He was a pastor who it was an interesting show because it was a hybrid. It was followed him and his family, but also him helping people. And I really, truly feel like he helps his parishioners. So that's always, and just even the most, I'll be honest, even some of the most ratchet shows I've worked on, there's always an element of exposing things that you wouldn't necessarily talk about, you know? So, you know, you bring awareness. A lot of people give reality a bad rap. But it can be very changing, you know, it can change the world in some regards, you know, so issues that aren't talked about, like, honestly, a big issue is uh, mental health in the African American community. I did the show called LA Divas. I saw that. Yeah, I'm sorry. Many seasons, right? Yeah, there was three seasons, R&B Divas Atlanta, R&B Divas LA, and then Hollywood Divas. And R&B Divas LA had this character, Michelle A, who many people know from Dr. Dre, and she was married to Suge, and she had, or had a kid with Suge. She was sort of married, but not too long before she joined the show, she tried to commit suicide. And so she talked about that journey. She brought awareness to that. And that's something that, you know, as a, also as a celebrity that, you know, shows people that you're not the only one. You know, like other people are experiencing mental health issues and it's a, we had her a scene where she was visiting with, you know, cause Don Cornelius committed suicide. And so we had a scene where she was meeting with Don Cornelius's son and they talked about his, you know, his outreach, his nonprofit about helping people who have mental health issues. How does that hit you on a personal level? I am always amazed at the courageousness, you know, like, yes, there's the people in reality who want their 15 minutes of fame. And there's some people who can't handle the mirror that's shown up, you know, like, cause we all have this perception of ourselves and, you know, and the camera doesn't filter, you know, and yes, we do edit things, but you say what you say and you do what you do. I think that bringing light to things, I'm always happy to bring light and exposure and to show things that like, like I said, that may not be talked about. And personally that fulfills me. 
you know, and yes, there's the glasses being thrown or whatever, but I always hang on to those moments when I know I'm, our shows are making a difference. Have you had guests that want to do update stories or still want to continue when the show has wrapped? Oh, well, no, because I'm in post, so I don't deal face-to-face with the cast members for a lot of the times, but there has been times when, you know, like you get the people like following you. It's more like the field people, like the showrunners and the talent coordinators and things like that. Luckily, I get to hide behind the keyboard. <laughs> so. Wow. Was this like a dream of yours from a young age or how did you fall into this? Well, I've always loved television. I mean, I grew up, television was my, you know, I'm your typical latchkey kid. You know, television was my entertainment. I watched all the channels, sometimes to the detriment of my schooling. You know, I was more interested in staying home and watching TV than actually going to class. So I've always dreamed about working in television. And I grew up on soap operas. Like my mom was hardcore, all my children all the time. And I watched Days of Our Lives back in the day. And so, like I said, I came out here to work on soap operas, but then I quickly discovered that soap operas, unfortunately, is a dying medium, you know, like there's only like, what, three or four left. And also the interesting thing about soap operas is they shoot almost the entire year. So the jobs are pretty steady, but nobody leaves, nobody, you know, like nobody, there's no really room for advancement. It's really hard to A, break in and B, go anywhere because you get, even if you break in, you're like stuck in a role forever, or you just move side to side, you know? So that was a little disheartening, but I had moved to LA and I came to live with my best friend at the time. Well, he's still my best friend, but he has an interesting story that he was going to be cast on real world semester at sea or road world semester at sea. But instead he managed to turn that into a casting job at Buna Murray, the production company. So he was working in Buna Murray, you know, and I was living at his place too. He helped me get the internship because he knew somebody, you know, then I, all my friends, all my friends in LA that I made were all in reality. So I kind of fell into it in a way because it was so new. Nobody even really knew what it was, you know, or what it would be, or everybody thought it was a fad that would go away. But yeah. And then, like I said, I bounced around and then, I mean, I've always been drawn to story writing, telling stories, whatever, you know, read, I was a big reader growing up. So yeah, I just fell into story. What kind <laughs> of books it, did you read? Oh my God. I read everything. I'm a big sci-fi fantasy nerd. I don't know if you can see all my pop figures back there. Everything. I was a voracious reader. Scholastic reading fairs were my jam. So, <laughs> you know, so like I used to read stuff like the library and be like, are you sure that's not your age level? I'm like, I can handle it. <laughs> so, you know, that's cool. I've gotten into reading biographies lately. I'm reading Katie Couric's Going There. It's oh. so I've really started to enjoy actually audible biographies on audible because a lot of times that the person will be reading it. And so you kind of hear it in their voice. So, yeah. Yeah. I haven't done that, but I feel like I should do that with Katie Couric's. Like, I mean, I feel like I can hear her voice just because I've followed her for so long. You You know, she's one of those voices that, you know, yeah. Okay. So you moved to LA, you had this roommate that worked in casting, but how did you climb the ranks? Well, I just, you know, I started at the bottom, honestly. I, like I was saying, I was a logger on the mole too, or I did PA jobs and whatever. And, you know, I just kept at it, you know, just if you don't tell people what you want or what your goals are, they'll never know. And they may be able to help you. You know, that's, I tell every, you know, young person that's on my team is like, let me know, tell me, maybe I can help. And, you know, there's times when it was like, you know, even between with Nanny in between seasons, like I wasn't really working. It was hard. It's hard. You know, you learn tricks like, you know, working freelance is not for the faint of heart. It's you don't have 
benefits. You don't have pension. You don't have any of that stuff, but a desire to be in the industry and create. So you have to have the guts and fortitude to stick it out. Yeah. I mean, you even were like that with me after Nanny, you tried to help me get onto that master blaster show. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was, oh my God, that show. I think that show was ahead of its time. I mean, who knew like some odd years later, I would actually be working with SpaceX and NASA. And so, you know. Yeah. I mean, how incredible. Yeah. I would love to know like what other mistakes you made along the way. Can you think of any? (laughs) I mean, you know, well, we're talking little ones, big ones, whatever, but I think, you know, honestly, I have my regrets. You know, I ended up kind of leaving college in my senior year. So even though I studied communications, I never really got my degree. So that's always going to be a regret for me. But funny enough, I landed in an industry where it's not really necessarily required. Experience and talent is actually more desirable than necessarily a piece of paper. But there are people who have benefited from college degrees and like, especially those who go to USC or whatever, because there's, let me tell you this, Hollywood is all about the clicks. <laughs> You've got, you know, your USC alum, you got your UCLA alum, you got, you know, you got all the, like, almost like the demographics that you fit into, you know, like they, they create these little communities, which is good because it's supportive, but it can seem daunting too. <laughs> so Yeah, I definitely, I agree with you. I feel like I saw that there. I was wondering if that still exists. Oh no, it's still, it's still 100%. Yeah. Also, what's your thought about the rise of YouTube? Interesting. Like, I don't know yet where it's going to pay out. Like YouTube has issues. It's unknown yet. The short form content is definitely, I think, going to be here to stay. I mean, look at TikTok, good, all that stuff. And Quibi tried, but they failed. And now all that's on Roku. There's still a desire for quality, you know, not that YouTube isn't quality, but they do take a lot of shortcuts and, and, you know, they rely on gimmicks sometimes. So as opposed to real storytelling, because with short form, you don't have the time to tell the real full story. Interestingly enough, like I just read an article about Lord of the Rings, the trilogy and how originally when it was first developed, it was supposed to be two movies, but it wasn't until like the third movie when they had the time to breathe and stuff like we wouldn't have been it would have been rushing through everything at such a rapid pace that you wouldn't have felt attachment to anything. There is something to be said for taking the time and telling your story. But at the same time, YouTube is almost like a training ground in some ways. Yeah. I mean, you get instant feedback. That's true. Yeah. And you learn what not to do and what works. So I would love to know too, like what was your research like for those big interviews that you did? I'm bad. (laughs) I don't necessarily, I mean, I do research a little, like I get to see what they are and do something like that. But I usually like, I mean, I'll go in knowing what we're story we're trying to tell and what we're trying to get. And so I'll prepare that way as opposed to the person, because I do want their story and people will naturally tell your story. That's, those are easy questions to ask. And you, and I don't like to prepare too much because if you prepare too much, then you're sticking to all these points. Whereas a good interview will take, like, maybe take something somebody said, and then you follow up with that. And, you know, there's tricks too, because like, you know, people hate silence. If you pause for a second after an answer, sometimes they'll keep going and they'll say things that they aren't even really, you know, prepared to say, or, you know, that it's, it reaches a whole other level. I tend to fly a little by the seat of my pants just because I like to feel the rhythm of the interview and the people, which is a little bit harder over, you know, Zoom and stuff. But I do go in knowing what points I want to hit and what I want to talk about. That's exactly why I hit mute because I want to interrupt. Yeah. I want to 
Mm-hmm. interject myself. And when I hit mute, a lot of times I get more than I would have expected in, in an answer. It's true. Some of the most powerful interviews I've gotten are just, you know, like it's almost like, you know, like it's an inherent human nature thing to fill that silence. And then, you know, and then they're just emburdening themselves, you know, so in a way, sometimes depending on the topic, of course, <laughs> being prepared and there's being overly prepared so that you're so busy hitting the bullet points, you're not getting the true nature of the person. And also too, you want to leave room for just being able to be present. Mm -hmm. Oh, 100%. It's so important. And that's, what's hard about these zoom interviews too, is that connection. You want to maintain eye contact. You want to, you know, do the nods. You want to make, show them that you're listening because you are. And it's, sometimes it's hard because, you know, you get the other producers in your ear or whatever. I don't necessarily like to have an earpiece in when I'm interviewing because like make, get them to say that. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to, I just haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> so that happens a lot, you know, like, cause you're, you're building, you, you can't just sometimes straight up like, so what's it like to cheat, you know, on someone, you know, like you can't just straight up ask that you have to get them to trust you and you have to get to it, you know, like you have to ease into it. So yeah. Ooh, Connection I love is I love both of those things that you just said, because I've produced a live shoot where I had someone in the earpiece of the host and he almost like hit his leg when she said something and he was still listening to the other person. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. It's distracting. Sometimes when I, back in the day, when I used to be on set more, you would have a walkie in one ear. You would be having the IFB, which is the listening device to what the cast mics are saying. And then you'd have someone talking to you face to face. It's like, I can multitask, but that's a lot. Oh my God. It is yeah. really a lot. Yeah. Any other nuggets that you would say that you have picked up along the way, as far as ways to interview people? Well, maybe if you're open with somebody, if you're smiling and connected with them, you get a much more natural response. Like honestly care about what people want to say, you know, like don't just feel like you're just doing this. Cause you know, you're, that's your job. These are people and people always want to be listened to even the most like fame hungry people. They want to be listened to the most. So engage. And that's my most important thing. I think listening and, in, and also engaging actually at the same time. Do you play to people's ego? Sometimes like when I say things, I try to be from a sincere place because if you're just placating them or saying things just because then they can tell, well, some people are, but you know, for the most part, most people are not stupid, you know? And if you treat them like they are, if you're complimenting someone actually mean it, that will soften them to you. I love that. Have there been like mentors to you along the way? I know you had a really great relationship with Bruce. With Bruce. Yeah. No, I've, I've been very lucky. Actually, funny enough, my roommate who he's now an executive producer, like he produced a bunch of housewife shows and he's doing stuff for Netflix and he watching him interview. Actually, I learned a lot from him. He is a very good interviewer. So that was, that was my first kind of mentor is even though we were kind of friends and stuff, but Bruce, Bruce was very supportive. He hired me several times, like not just on Nanny 911, but on Workout. And then most recently, a big, big person in my career is, um, I mentioned before, Aaron Fishman. I worked with him on all the R&B Divas, Hollywood Divas shows. And I honestly don't think I would have the executive producer title I have today. He was the one who helped me get my co-executive producer title. <laughs> I worked with him to get the Emmy and that got me the executive producer title. So honestly, he has been such a great, great person to work with work for. And he is one of those rare breeds that, you know, actually cares about people and like wants to see everybody treated fairly. 
you know, so, you know, especially, you know, I'll be honest, being a woman in this business, it's hard. I mean, I've been passed up several times for stuff like, because, you know, even though I was the one doing all the work, you know, somebody else gets the title bump because A, they're like a man or B, they're like this pretty young thing, you know? So it's hard and you, know, there's a lot of false promises to keep you doing what you're doing because you're keeping things afloat and then they never come through. But Aaron is one of the rares who people who treats everybody good. Well, shout out to Aaron. We're going to send him this. <laughs> He's so modest. It's it's funny. He'll be like, no, you're the one who's talented. It's just, it's just you. And I'm like, no, you helped me. You what? <laughs> so that's so cool. Have you seen some people come up? I mean, I'm sure you have like even just people oh. that we worked with together. That's yeah. No, I mean, there's so many people I've seen. This is another nugget of wisdom in this business. Always be nice to everybody, even the PAs, because you never know who's helped them get that job. You never know where they're going to end up. Like I've seen PAs or casting recruiters. I, I know one who's now a network executive. So you never know. And it's just good peopleing, I guess, if that's a word, <laughs> just to be nice. That doesn't hurt to be nice. Don't be a dick. <laughs> and I think actually Helen Aaron said it at the SAG Awards, you know, be nice, be on time and be nice. That's the thing is like, I've dealt with a lot of B, D, C, reality people, you know, and they're usually because they're scrambling to get like that foothold of fame and stuff like that. And some of them, they turn into divas and jerks. If you look at the true A-listers, they always have this reputation of like just being decent people to work with and professional. I love that. Is there like a topic that you would still love to cover or? You know, there's a type of reality show I haven't really done too much of. It's like renovation shows. I, you know, those look like they'd be fun and they're pretty. I mean, the thing about doing docuseries is it's a lot of like molding and making sure everything makes sense. And, you know, when you're building something, it's stage by stage by stage. So it's much easier story to tell. But I mean, I've been lucky enough to do do like competition shows. I've done docuseries, I've done documentaries. So I feel very blessed with my career. I honestly do. What have been some of like the things that you remember that like really keep you going? Where you're like, I love what I do. I'll t- I say this to everybody. The minute I don't get excited seeing my name on the credits on TV, then I know I need to stop, you know, because I still get a thrill. I mean, even though I may not watch the episode because I've seen it like 10 million times at this point, because you don't know how many times I watch an episode, but to still see my name on the television, I still get a thrill. Yeah. So do you feel like in some ways that is a legacy for you? Yeah. I mean, I have definitely sacrificed to get where I have, I am and I'm super proud of it. You know, I come from strictly blue collar, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And it's, and it's great. And it's the way my family and my, you know, where I grew up, but it's been an extraordinary ride. I've got to go places and do things I never thought I would. Like I've been to Africa for a shoot and we went to Ghana and, you know, like it's just things that experiences that I wouldn't trade. Uh, what was Ghana like? It was beautiful. It was really, really beautiful. And like, we were there for a BET show. And in one of the cast members, he was from Ghana and he was bringing his future bride to meet his family. So it was like, and she took her around. It's like, we went to the, the, the slave fort where the last place they would be before they got on the shifts. And like, we went to an orphanage and got to experience, like they did a presentation. It was so beautiful and so heartwarming, but it's crazy. 
That sounds like an emotional trip. It was a pretty emotional trip. It was a very hard trip because you're working. That's the thing. It's like when you go to these places and you're working, you're working. You know, it's not like a leisurely travel day. So you're working like 13, 14 hour days. So, you know. Right. That hasn't changed. No, no, that has not changed. That's why I'm in post. It's a little easier on schedule. Yeah. Did you have to travel with like security or? Oh yeah. No. Oh my God. There's this crazy story. Okay. So we had our own bus and we had security and everything like that. It was like some of the police force. I don't know why they did it, but they would go down the wrong way down like one way streets and the cops, we had motorcycle cops on either side and they're like pushing people aside to get out of the way. I'm like, we're the ones going down the wrong way. And at one point we were stopped and it was a traffic jam and you see the cop cop just get off his motorcycle go over to a guy because they don't have guns or anything so it goes over to a truck driver and just punches him through the window and I was like holy shit <laughs> so excuse my language but yeah so it was crazy it's crazy uh yeah that isn't something you normally see no back home. <laughs> no 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 you definitely get you definitely have like I did a show in Jamaica too, where we were we basically kind of took over a resort with Bruce Toms actually we took over a resort and we turned it into a set and we, you know, there was security, there's guards at the gates and things like that too. So yeah. Wow. That's so cool though, that you've gotten to do so much travel for, yeah. for work. I haven't, not in the last couple of years, well, especially because COVID, but you know, back in my more field days then yeah. Okay. So tell me about the current show that you're working on. Actually the current show I'm working on now is really fun. I've done a couple of shows for own love working with that network, by the way, one of the best networks, they have a hit show called love and marriage hunts. Well, we are the first spinoff franchise. Well, it's not a spinoff. It's a franchise. So we are doing Love and Marriage DC. And we have, it's been announced, but we have one of the ex-cast members of Real Housewives of Potomac, Monique Samuels, on the show. So it's going to be fun. This cast is so entertaining and so great. So, yeah. So like I said, there's always, even in the most ratchet shows I've done, there's always something in there that can really, you know, some nugget, you know, that can shed light on something. And how do you, I mean, I just remember being on Nanny 911 from the very beginning. And I feel like in the beginning, they didn't really have the story worked out. But then, you know, when it gets to be season two and season three, it becomes a very well-oiled ship. Exactly. Well, I mean, that's always the case. Even though we're a franchise, we're still a season one. So we're finding the voice, we're finding the style, the tone. Let's be honest, Huntsville, Alabama is very different than Washington, D.C. We, you know, try and keep that in mind when we're we're doing stuff with the style and the show, you know, like every season one is always brutal because you are you are finding how you're telling the story, you're finding what works for you. So, yeah. So if you wanted to go work on a renovation show, how would you go about doing that? Well, I have an agent. (laughs) Honestly, you know, renovation show would be nice, but actually what I've been telling my agent is really, I want to get some Netflix and Hulu and Amazon on my resume. You know, that's honestly, that's the future is the streamers. Do you want to say hi? My daughter just came up here. Oh, Oh, my quesadilla is here. (laughs) Hi. I worked with Taryn at Nanny 911. She works in TV. Are you the one who just won the basketball game? Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. You're welcome. That's awesome. (laughs) Do you like reality shows or no? You're like, whatever. Kind of whatever. (laughs) I work in them and I'm that way too. So that's there you go. Um, we're, me and my mom are watching a show on Netflix called Love is Blind. Oh yeah. I have friends who worked on the first season. Really? Yeah. My favorite 
person is Lauren. Okay. I mean, that's the thing is like you, you fall in people and you root for them. So, right. Yeah. Especially on a competition show like that. You want them to find love. You just came to get me for the quesadilla. I'll be down there shortly. If I'm done in time, I could have the privilege of going to pick up my son who decided to stay at the basketball game because there was a boys basketball game after. Oh, two. two boys basketball games. So he's getting his fill <laughs> or he's just hanging out with his friends. Abba wants me to spend quality time with him. Boy, the life of a mompreneur, Taryn, is <laughs> quite the juggle too. I'm sure. I'm totally sure. I don't know how, like, you know, I have some friends who are, have kids and stuff like that. And I don't know how they do it. So let me just tell you, like part of why I really wanted to catch up with Jerry Springer is because when I worked there, like no one had kids. Mm -hmm. And even most of the shows I worked on when I was in LA, I didn't feel like so many people had kids yet. Although now the people that we worked with do, Mm -hmm. how do people do both? I mean, that's the thing is that, you know, back when reality was young, we were all young with it. And so we're having to adapt to it. And like a lot of people I know who have families are in post now because it's more nine to five. I don't even know how you would do it single, you know, if you were in the field. You couldn't. Yeah, I don't think so either. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Also, I am curious, like, how did you find an agent? And what's it like having an agent now? Believe it or not, Aaron Fishman helped me. I reached a point where I was just gotten my first co-EP credit. And I'd been with this one company for a long time. And I knew I was not making the money I should, especially considering I was running multiple shows for them at the same time. You know, like at one point I was running three shows at once. I really wanted to grow my career and I have lots of contacts, but they were all at my level, you know? So I didn't have the context with the people who'd be doing the hiring necessarily. So I took some meetings and I ended up going with a smaller boutique agency and my agent was is really great. He's very personable and cares about me as opposed to like, you know, like the big ones like CA or whatever. And he actually like, he will get me meetings in with people. Like, you know, I was like, oh, I want to, you know, do a Netflix show. He got me a general meeting with a Netflix exec. So for me, it's all about getting in the door and being face-to-face with people or screen to screen with people. Because if my resume crosses their desk or in my credits, if they can't, if that, I mean, I'm just anybody, but if I've done a meeting with them, then maybe they'll remember me and hire me, you know? And eventually I do want to become a showrunner and not just for post, but we'll see. That's I got to build up my confidence first. (laughs) What was it like to have a meeting with Netflix? It was fun. It was a Zoom meeting. It was just like, you know, like any other meeting with an exec, you know, like I've been dealing with network execs for years now. So do you get nervous? I do. No, don't get me wrong. I get nervous, but you know, you just, you have your interview strategies when you're going in. It's much like anybody with any job, you know, you have your like, Oh, what's my strength? What's my weakness? You know, that type of stuff. So what are your strengths and weaknesses? Honestly, I think my biggest strength is communication. I'm very big on communication because especially, you know, between post and field and within the department, especially when you're working on docu-series, because there's so many different threads or a way a scene can be cut. You have to make sure that it what the editors do or what the story people do falls in line with the, the arcs. Because, you know, otherwise you've wasted time in edit days and you have to go back and edit it because it's not hitting the points you needed to. So, and it's also the same thing with the field. It's like, you need to be communicating constantly back and forth because so that there's a thing called field memory, <laughs> but it's basically, they're not seeing what necessarily the camera's seeing. They have monitors and stuff, but things get missed, things happen, you know, whatever. So they may see something or may think something 
or miss something, it's just, it's the nature of the beast. It's not their fault or anything like that. And then when you get back in and we're seeing it, like, you know, there may be a reaction to something somebody said that they didn't catch. You're like, Ooh, that person was really pissed off by that. You should follow that thread. You know, like that's, that's how you get the real stories. And when you don't get the real stories, do you go back and try to pick some of those up? Like uh, some depends, of those reactions? Depends on the show, you know, like sometimes yes, you know, cause like, you know, you're shooting a scene sometimes with only two cameras and they can't be everywhere at once. Or, you know, the cameraman is changing a shot or whatever. And you'll get like some pickup inserts or things like that. But yeah. Yeah. But, so I also think that that's a little bit of a misconception that people don't realize is that, you know, there has to be a story. And sometimes if there isn't, yeah, you do have to stage some things, right? Well, it's not staged per se. So basically what any, almost any reality show does is they pre-interview everybody. They talk to everybody. They find out what's going on in their lives and then they'll build scenes around what's going on in their lives. And then, so that is real. It's real. Like this is what they're doing, but you go in having certain, you know, story expectations, like in order to tell the story, we need to hit these beats. But if something real pops out, then you follow that, you know? So very, very early days with real world, they used to shoot nonstop 24 seven for six months. So you would have everything and you just have to sort through it all and get it. And that was daunting. But now budgets aren't <laughs> what they used to be. And so you only get, you shoot maybe two, two to three scenes a day. So you have to be judicious about your manpower and what you can tell. So it's not fake. I mean, people think it's fake, but it's not fake. It's all based on truth. Sometimes you get really lucky. And I always say truth is stranger in fiction. And it's true because half the times, like I've seen shit pop off. They didn't go in with that plan at all. And it just went that way. And then you just follow it, you know? So that's my favorite. <laughs> no, that's the best stuff. That is the best stuff. Oh my God. Those are the best moments. Okay. Taryn, this has been truly amazing. Is there anything that you would like to ask my dad? Well, it's interesting because I did lose my father when I was 23. I would like to know like what it's like for him being part of the older generation, seeing like almost like probably back when he was like polio vaccines. And there was like this sense of, you know, we're all Americans, we're all in this together. And it's not that way anymore. So it's kind of hard to like how imagine how somebody who's used to that views the world today. Yeah. Is that, you know, is that too part, deep? No, I, I actually wanted to ask you about that. I thought I knew that from Paulette, I think told me that. Oh, Paulette told you. Oh, a yeah. long time ago, but I yeah, never yeah. felt comfortable asking and I'm sure other people feel uncomfortable asking. Well, I mean, it's not something I generally talk about because, you know, it always colors the way people kind of deal with you. But I mean, if you want, if you have time, I'll tell you the story. Yeah. Tell me. My dad was actually the victim of a workplace shooting before it was this common. So back in 1998, uh, he was working at a chemical plant in the Bay Area. And one of he was a manager. He was the maintenance manager. They had fired someone who was stealing and the union got him back. And on his first day back, he brought a gun and shot my dad and my dad's 27 year old boss. So, no. yeah. So every, I must admit, it's hard every time I hear about workplace shootings or school shootings or whatever, I get a little bit triggered. I mean, just recently, one of my, my best friend's son, who I'm auntie to, his school went into lockdown and he was texting. I was lucky enough to be on the text thread. He was texting us and it was hard. 
I'm not going to admit, you know, like I immediately brought back to my, that day, you know, so, and it's hard, you know, my niece, who's the youngest of my brother's kids, you know, she never knew she was born after he died. So all she knows is stories. Oh my God. That is so hard. And you were so young. Yeah. My mom, my my brother's younger. And it was, I have to say it's probably even harder on him, but I hate to say this in a way it allowed me to pursue my dreams in that he had a work because he worked in a chemical plant. So he had a pretty good insurance policy. That money from the insurance allowed me to move to LA and pursue my dreams. Wow. What a beautiful thing to say. I mean, it's true. You know, I wouldn't have all, all the accolades and experiences that I've had it wasn't for my dad and in some ways it's kind of a tribute I like to think so I like to think that you know he's happy with what I've done with my life wow that's really beautiful thank you so much for sharing that sure I'm happy to yeah my dad is going to definitely relate to that thank you so much for your sweet question too I can't (laughs) wait to hear what he has to say yeah. I mean, I'm always curious. Cause you know, you hear the stories about the people taking the polio with the sugar cube, you know, and the, they've got their polio or their scar from, you know, whatever. And I was like, they, there was a sense of like doing it for the community, which I just don't get the people who aren't are so self-absorbed that they can't do it for. It's not about you or protecting you. It's about protecting the people who can't be protected. I definitely think that the pandemic has brought that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. All right, Taryn, I just have loved catching up with you. I've loved catching up with you. I can't believe it's been so long. Yeah, uh, we need to like do this again sometime. And I'm totally honored. Like this is your first podcast, right? Yeah, I mean, really straight up. I mean, I did a friend's audio one, but it was, nah. (laughs) All right, well, my daddy is very honored too. And I actually told him that we're talking. So he- Uh, Well, tell him I said hello and that he's a fabulous daughter. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. So this is a nice reunion with Taryn, with Rena, reunion with Nanny 911. How appropriate. Obviously, there was a little twist at the end. I'm sorry about your dad, but, you know, just this morning, there was another one of these attacks where somebody gets disgruntled. And uh, I think, what did they do? Shoot like 10 people in, in Sacramento this morning. It's very, very terrible where uh, people, again, can just reach a certain limit of teasing or bullying or feeling depressed over things that happen in their everyday lives and and just, just go off the deep edge and take innocent people and put their lives in jeopardy and put other people's lives in jeopardy, uh, usually over, again, just uh, taking a fit. But I applaud you that you took the insurance money and you decided to take your dad's legacy forward and make something out of yourself and make something out of his life is living through you. The love of of TV, the love of podcasts, the love of being part of different shows and entertaining, I think is a wonderful accomplishment. Mostly what you said about you never know who can be your next connection and you communicate with everyone fairly and nicely and sincerely is the way you get ahead in life is being nice to other people. And by being nice and sincere to other people, you build a beautiful community and you have an opportunity then to not only be part of that community, but to be where you have a chance to elevate yourself and others around you. It's very rewarding and it gives your life meaning and 
gives your father also further meaning with his life through you. Uh, you asked me an interesting question about, you know, when we were little, we we're all getting all these vaccines and, you know, you get the shot for polio, you get the shot for the measles and all this kind of stuff. It's to protect, you would think, the individual, but also you're really protecting society from these terrible outbreaks that can occur. And here it is many years later that we're having vaccines over COVID. And I think that the difference with the polio vaccine is that that was a very terrible, crippling type of disease. And certainly nobody wanted to get that. But I'm not really sure that the COVID that we're having now, which is a form of, of flu, in my opinion, is some people that obviously have medical issues have been affected worse. But a lot of people that have gotten the COVID, they get over it in a day or two, and uh, they're just fine. I'm not really sure if it's really the same, but we certainly want to protect society, and protect individuals, but we have to do it in a manner that we don't jeopardize our freedom of choice and what we feel is best for our families. We certainly don't want to inhibit us and sacrifice our freedoms. So this is a, a very tough question to answer because we want to have life as healthy as possible, but we don't want to give government too much opportunity to dictate to us and lessen our freedoms. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 